Well, let me start out today by telling you something that you might already know, but I want to say it again. I really love you guys. I do. I love this church family. I love the people. I love the music. I love the coffee. I like the soup. I mean, I really just love everything about this. I love you guys. And not only that, I love this great valley that God has planted us in, in this town of Silverton. Um, it's been over 35 years ago since this church was planted in Silverton. During that time, the town's grown amazingly. It, it was about 6,000 people at that time. The current population is 10,862. I read that Silverton is the 59th largest city in Oregon. Isn't that amazing? And the 3,877th largest city in America. But its population is projected to grow. And I don't want to comment on the economic, social, or political implications of that. But I do want you to know something about Silverton. People are coming. They're coming whether you like it or not. You might write that down. Silverton, people are coming. Today in our little town of 10,000 plus people, if statistics are true, and I think they are, nearly 7,000 of them don't know Jesus Christ. Nearly 7,000 of our neighbors don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They're lost, they're separated from God, they're headed to hell, and more are coming. And these are people that God cares about. Friends, we can't let that happen. God loves these people. We love these people too much to let inevitably what is going to happen to them happen. So what I want to do, and after these next weeks together, as we talk about better together, I want to make it hard for people in Silverton to go to hell. I want to really make it difficult. I want to put our church on the map. I want to put you on the map as a place where the good news about Jesus Christ can be heard and be experienced. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 13, 35, I am giving you a new command. You must, not you should, not you can, you must love each other just as I have loved you. If you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The Bible tells us that God is love. Love is, is the very essence of who he is. Everything exists in the universe because God created it, and he created it so he could love it. God created you to love you. God loves you. God loves Silverton. God loves the 3,000 people in Silverton who have already accepted him. God loves the 7,000 people in Silverton who haven't. God loves the thousands of people that are yet to come. God never made anything that he didn't love. So if you're alive, it means that God loves you. You were created to be an object of God's love. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Now let's just stop right there for a second. According to the Bible, even before God created the universe, he'd already chosen you and he already loved you. God made the universe so that he could make the earth so that he could make Silverton, so that he could make you, 
Why? So he could love you. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been, from the very beginning of time, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This gave him great pleasure. Circle that, great pleasure. you got to get this. It says that you were planned for God's pleasure. In fact, the reason you're alive is that God made you to love you, which is the very first purpose I want to share with you today. The first purpose of your life is to be loved by God. The first purpose of your life is not to serve God. It's not to trust God. It's not to obey God. Your first purpose is not even to love God. Your purpose, your first purpose is to let God love you. See, it's important for you to understand why you were created in the first place. God didn't create you to do something God created you to receive something. And if you understand this truth, it'll be revolutionary in your life. Most people never really get this. Most people think that God created them to do something, but actually God created you to receive something. It says in... um, Well, it doesn't say this because my pages are stuck together. It does say that later on, but it doesn't say it quite yet. This is something I want you to write down. I was made to be a receiver of God's love. Your first duty in life is not to do something. It's not to learn something. It's not to listen. It's not to pray. It's not to give. It's not to sacrifice. All of those things are really good, but the first thing God created you to do, the first calling in your life, is to be a receiver of God's love. My first calling... God wants you to enjoy a relationship with Him. It says in Jude 1, to those who have been called, to those who have been called by God, who live in the love of God the Father and in the care of Jesus Christ. What has God called you to do? He's called you to live in the love of God the Father and the care of Jesus Christ. I'm called to live in the love of God. That's just another way to say I'm called to be in a relationship. The first calling in your life is not to a role. Your first call is to a relationship. <clears throat> if you're, you're not called into a religion, you're not called to a bunch of rules and regulations, you're called into a relationship. You know, friends, Christianity is not a religion. People try to make it a religion. People try to make Christianity about rules and regulations and rituals, but it's not that. Jesus Christ said it's about a relationship. God sent Jesus Christ so that you could have a relationship with him. So what kind of relationship does Jesus want to have with you? Does God want you to be his slave? No. Does he want you to be his servant? No. Does God want you to be a soldier to fight all the battles in the culture that are trying to fix everything that's wrong in the world? No. Does God want you to be his worker? his employee, his minion? No, he doesn't. God wants you to be his child. You are called to be his son, to be his daughter. God wants you in his family. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, dear friends in Rome, this is Paul writing them, he tells them this, God loves you dearly, circle dearly. 
And he has called you. And here's the calling of God. God loves you dearly and he has called you to be his very own people. So my first purpose is to be loved by God and my first calling is to enjoy a relationship with God, which takes us to the third thing. That relationship is to be his son or his daughter. Now, I think this is one of the most amazing truths that you could ever hear in your life. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe doesn't want you to be a slave. He doesn't want you to be a servant. He doesn't want you to be a soldier. He wants you to be his child. God wants a family to love, and he wants you in it. 1 John 3, 1, let me read it from the Amplified. What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we should be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. We are named the children of God, and we are called the children of God, and we are counted the children of God. Why? Because we are the children of God. Your number one purpose in life is not to try to accomplish something. Your number one purpose in life is not to try to make something out of yourself. Your number one purpose is not to make a lot of money, to be famous, to have a lot of fun. Your number one purpose in life, the reason that God created you, is you are called to be loved by Him, to experience His love. You were created to be an object of God's love. But the sad truth is that many people have never really, truly experienced the love of God. They've heard about it. I guess, I guess just about everybody has heard, Jesus loves me, this I know or the Bible tells me so. You heard it, but lots of people have not ever experienced it. You've heard it in your head, but you've not felt it in your heart. I think the sad truth is a lot of people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. They got it up here, but they don't have it right here. You've got to experience God's love in your life. Paul says this in Ephesians 3, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. See, your life needs to be rooted in the marvelous love of God. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ. Now listen, you've got to see this. Not just know the love of Christ, he says you need to experience it. God says, I don't want you just to know that you're loved. I want you to feel that you're loved in every fiber of your life. May you experience. He's talking about an emotional connection with God. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. The Bible says that part of your calling in God is to experience how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love for us is. So let's just take a look at that for a moment. How wide is God's love? Well, it's wide enough to be everywhere. There's no place on this planet where God's love isn't. There's no place in this universe where God's love ends. God's love is in a bar where everybody's drunk. God's love is in the red light district where people are selling their bodies. God's love is under the bridge where the homeless guy lives. God's love is in the place where the poorest of the poorest are. God's love is in the church where people have come to worship Him. There's no place where God's love isn't. That means many times people say, yeah, but I don't see it. 
But friends, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. There's a lot of things that you can't see that are real. For instance, right now, right now in this room, there's radio waves zooming back and forth. I'm talking in this microphone. It's going in this thing on my pocket, and it's coming out those speakers, and you can't see it at all. Some of you are taking notes on your phone, and it's connected to, you know, to something somewhere, and what we are saying is coming to you. There's a lot of things that you can't see that are real, and so we can't see God but we know he's here. He's real. If you tune in, you'll experience him. If you get on God's wavelength, you'll experience his love. You, you will know that he's real. You'll know he's just as real as I am standing here. But the only way that you're going to experience God's love is you've got to tune in. And just because you can't feel him, just because you can't see him right now, doesn't mean he's not here. There's a lot of stuff you can't see. So how wide is God's love? It's wide enough to be everywhere. And that means there's not a place in your life where God is not. You may feel lonely. You may feel alone at different points in your life. But you'll never really be truly alone because God's love is there whether you're aware of it or not. It's wide enough to be everywhere. So how long is God's love? Well, long enough to last forever. Which makes it completely different than human love. Because human love can wear out. I mean, we know it can. That's why we have divorces. That's why we have breakups. That's why we have conflict. That's why we have people who get estranged from each other. That's why people sometimes leave the church. Human love often wears out. But God's love never wears out. God will never, 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 ever stop loving you. Even if you choose to reject Him, even if you choose to go to hell, God will still love you. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The Message Bible puts it like this, I've never quit loving you and I never will. Expect love, love, and more love. God's love is eternal. God made you to love you. God loves you with an everlasting love. It's, it's long enough to last forever. So how deep is God's love? What's well, deep enough to handle anything? No matter what you're going through, no matter what pain you're going through, no matter what problems you're going through, no matter what hurt you're going through, God's love is deeper still. Maybe you, you've had that sense that I've hit rock bottom. I'm in the pit of hell. I'm in deep despair. I can't get any lower than I am. Well, God's love goes deeper. God's love goes lower than your problems. Psalm 139, verse 8 says, If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Isaiah 43, verse 2 says, and we sang that this morning, this verse, When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Back in 1996, the Willamette Valley had all kinds of floods. An older couple from our church um, lived out on the other side of Mount Angel near the Pudding River, Chuck and Esther Rains, and they're both in heaven now. But one night, in the middle of the night, they heard a knock on their door. 
And it was the Mount Angel Fire Department telling them they had to get up right now because their house was flooding. They needed to leave immediately. In the middle of the night, this was like 2 a.m., the firemen escorted them in the pitch black through chest-deep water. Esther told me that this scripture came to her mind. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, you will not drown. Friends, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not there. It's deeper than any problem that you could ever have. It's deep enough to handle anything. So how high is God's love? What's high enough to overlook my sins? It's high enough to to see over the top of my faults, to look past my mistakes. Because of Jesus Christ, God is able to overlook my faults and my failures and my rebellion. The forgiveness that Jesus offers us at the cross gives us a chance to start over. A million years before anything existed, God already had thought of you. And he had decided to choose you. And he decided to love you. And God's been waiting for your entire life for the moment that you would sit still for just a minute. In fact, maybe that's why he brought you here today. So you just sit still for a minute and hear this. I feel like the Lord gave me this to say to you today. He says, you have no idea how much I love you. I have always loved you. There's never been a moment of your existence that I didn't love you. I was the one who planned your birth. I saw you formed in your mother's womb. I saw you take your first breath. I heard your first cry. There's not been a moment of your life when I turned my back on you, that I didn't listen to you, when I wasn't watching you. I saw every pain you went through. I saw every sin you ever done, the celebrations and the sadness, the happy times and the sad times, the grief and the pain. And whether you realize it or not, I've been there at every moment of your life. And I was gazing on you because I made you to love you. I believe the Lord wants to let that soak into you for a moment. Your first calling in life is not to do something. Your first calling in life is to receive something from God, to receive his wonderful love. How would it transform our life if we would just let God love us, if we would just receive his love? Let let me give you some things I think would radically change your life if you would accept God's first call, if you would just accept his invitation to enjoy a relationship. The first thing that would happen, I think would happen, is I'd feel accepted rather than ashamed. That'll change your life. Most people go through their entire life trying to avoid God because they feel ashamed. They feel guilty. They feel under condemnation. People feel judged. They feel criticized. Here's why. Because they think God's perfect, and I'm not. So why in the world would I want to be around a perfect God simply to remind me of how imperfect I am? But friends, that's not what God does. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save it. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? Say it out loud with me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 5.1, by faith we have been made acceptable to God. And now, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live at peace with him. Friends, God's not mad at you. Did you hear what that verse said? God's made you to be acceptable. Because of Jesus Christ, God says you are totally, completely, unconditionally acceptable to me. And because of that, I can live in peace with God. And the reason that's so important is because it releases you from the addiction of approval. Most of us have spent our entire life trying to gain the approval of other people. Everything we do in life is, an, is just an effort to get other people to accept us or to approve of us. The way you dress, the way you talk, the, the car you drive, all the things we do, the, there are just things that we, sometimes we even do stuff we don't want to do because we think it will impress other people. And if you're, if you're like most people, you're addicted to approval. But here's something that many, many of you have already discovered. You've been trying your whole life to gain approval from people that are unpleasable. They might even be dead, and you're still trying to gain their approval. And friends, if you haven't gotten that by now, you're not going to get it. But when you realize God loves you unconditionally, without conditions of any kind, that's when you begin to realize, I don't need other people's approval to be happy. Most of your life, you've been worried about what other people think. There's a reason for that. The reason is because, well, you don't feel unconditionally loved by God. And when you don't feel it, then you try to get approval from other people. But when you know God, when you know that God loves you unconditionally, then criticism doesn't bother you as much anymore. Romans 8.33 says, If God says His chosen ones are acceptable to Him, and He has, you heard that verse where He says you're acceptable. If God says His chosen ones are acceptable to Him, can anybody bring charges against Him? The answer is no. Or can anybody condemn them? The answer is no indeed. Emphatically, no. So the second thing happens when I experience the unconditional love of God. I'm bold in bringing my needs to God. I'm bold in my prayers. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I'm a member of the family. When I'm a member of the family, I can talk to him about anything. Romans 8, 14 says, All who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So you should not be cowering like fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. I, I love that phrase, Father, dear Father. It's, it, the word in Aramaic, is Abba, and it's not talking about the Swedish rock group. Abba is the word for daddy. And um, the Bible says when you come to God in prayer, you come to him and say, Daddy, Papa. It's very warm. It's very friendly. It's very personal. You don't need to come to him with fancy phrases or fancy prayers. When my kids grew up and they needed money, if they came to me and said, Oh, thou most gracious potentate of the Barnes family, thou, thou wonderful keeper of the family funds, I'd go, what? What are you talking about? No, what they came and said, Dad, we need cash. We need money. They're, they're bold. They're straightforward. Dad, give me some money. Well, the Bible says that you can come to God and say, Dad, I need cash. Abba, Father. It's personal. It's intimate. 
When you hear those kind of fancy flowery prayers, I think God's saying, what? What are you talking about? Now talk to me like I'm personal. Abba, Father, Daddy, my Daddy. And that makes me bold in bringing my prayers to God. When I was young, I liked to listen on the radio to some radio preachers, and several of the guys I liked, were they were pretty Pentecostal in their preaching and their prayer life, and I thought their prayer life was amazing. And I noticed when they ended their prayers, they always said, Amen and Amen. They always said amen twice. I thought, that's pretty cool. So I thought for a while, I was going to try ending all my prayers the same way. I thought, these are pretty powerful guys, and if they say amen and amen, that's how I'm going to pray. And then I thought, I did in a prayer meeting one time, and somebody thought, like, have you lost your mind? What's wrong with you? Well, I was trying to be impressive, and God doesn't need impressive prayers. Romans 8, 17 says, and since we are his children, we will share in his treasure. In other words, as a child of God, I get the family inheritance. For everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Because of that, you get the total access to the full deal. He doesn't say, well, I'm pretty busy at the moment. I've been working on that earthquake in Turkey right now, so you know, I'll get back to you in a few months. No, you come boldly to God. Any time, any place, anywhere, you're a child of God. You get special privileges. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.16 says, so let us come, what? Boldly to the throne of grace of God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You need to be bold in your prayers to God. You're a child of God. You're loved unconditionally. Jesus said you can ask for anything in my name. So I feel accepted rather than ashamed. I'm bold in bringing my prayer request to God. Here's the third thing. I have peace and pain that I don't understand. You're going to have a lot of things happen to you in life that you just don't get. You're going to have a lot of times where you're just asking why. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my friends? Why is this happening to my family? Why now? Why here? Why this? You're going to see things happen in this world, and you're going to ask why. Let me just tell you right up front. God doesn't owe you an explanation for why he allows anything. But I would tell you, not everything that happens in this world is God's will. God hates evil. There are a lot of evil things that are done in this world. God hates sin. God hates cancer. There's a lot of things that God hates. And you're going to go through a lot of life and find that there are things happen that you just don't understand. You're going to experience losses that you don't understand. You're going to have hurts that you don't understand. You'll be rejected at times and you won't understand it. Problems. But here's the thing. You don't have to understand to be at peace. In fact, sometimes explanations don't give you any peace anyhow. When somebody you love dies, if someone gave you a good explanation for it, it wouldn't make you any happier. You still have the loss. Explanations don't bring comfort. You don't need an explanation. You need what the Bible says is the peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What, what is that kind of peace that passes understanding? Well, it's the peace that you have even when you don't get what's happening, what's going on. It's it, when you have no explanation, when you have no discernment, when you don't know what's going on, 
but you're still at peace. Friends, that kind of peace is not normal. That kind of peace is not natural. It's supernatural. The peace that comes from God is supernatural. When I was a little kid, about four years old, I guess my sister Sybil was three. One day, Mom and Sybil and I were coming home from town in the car. In those days, there were no such thing as car seats or seat belts. In fact, in 1958, most cars didn't have seat belts. So we were in the car, and Mom was driving, and my sister and I were in the back seat. And as we rounded a corner out on Cascade Highway, the back door of the car flew open, and my sister flew right out the door at 50 miles an hour. I mean, I'll never forget it. She went tumbling across the ground in the gravel, and Mom slammed on the brakes and jammed the car into park and jumped out and ran back and scooped up my sister, who was bleeding profusely, and she was screaming bloody murder, Mommy, don't leave me! And Mom grabbed her up in her arms and ran back to the car and put her in the front seat. Since there was no seat belts, it was my job to keep her from wiggling away. My mom drove 90 miles an hour. Well, it probably wasn't over 55, but she, she went back quick to the hospital. We got to the hospital, and we rushed my little sister into the emergency room, and, and Mom went to the phone to call my dad and tell him about this horrible thing that had happened. And When Mom was on the phone, I was just sitting by myself. I was four years old in the waiting room. And this terrible thing had happened, and I was just paralyzed with fear. I, I can, my heart actually can feel it right now. And um, Mom came back and, and said, um, Dad's on the way, and when Dad gets here, everything's going to be okay. I don't actually know how Dad getting there was going to change anything, but as a four-year-old, I vividly remember a peace that came over my life. Just one thought in mind, when dad gets here, everything's going to be okay. I don't know when um, I begin to realize that human fathers don't have all the power in the universe, but God does. God can handle anything. God's got unlimited power. And when you realize that God is good and that he loves you, and when, that's when things begin to make sense in your life. You can have the peace that passes understanding even during the most difficult times. God's love doesn't exempt you from the pain or the suffering of life. Christians have the same exact problems that everybody else does. The difference is that when we get the peace that passes understanding, then we can trust God in the moment when it seems like life is just falling apart. The fourth thing that happens is when I know that I'm totally loved by God I gained the courage to take some risks. When somebody believes in you, like your Heavenly Father believes in you, you become capable of accomplishing things that you never thought you could do on your own. When somebody believes in you, it gives you additional power. It gives you additional energy. When someone believes in you the way God believes in you, it releases you to follow your dreams. You have dreams that have gone unfulfilled in your life. Because you've been scared to death to go after him. You've been thinking, what if I mess up? What if I fail? And friends, some of you are going to die with unfulfilled dreams. Some of you are going to die with regrets. Unless you key into the love 
that God has for you and let him give you the confidence that comes from believing that God loves me. I know I've told you this story before, but I like it so much I'm going to tell it to you again. When I was in high school, I took a welding class. My dad was a pretty good welder. My brother was an excellent welder. Um, My dad was always out in the shop welding stuff up, but I had basically no welding skills at all. In my shop class, my senior project was to build a trailer, and it was a total disaster. The axles weren't right. When I towed it down the road, it went sideways. Um, The wells looked terrible. My shop teacher said it looked like chicken tracks, except he didn't say tracks. Um, It was bad. It was pathetic. And I was really discouraged because I tried pretty hard to get this thing right. And it was my senior project, and I wanted to do well. And I remember how disappointed I was in myself. Have you ever felt that way about life? Have you ever felt like I tried really hard? I mean, I I worked really, really hard on that, but it it just didn't turn out right. It didn't turn out the way I had hoped. Well, my dad he came down to the school and he looked at my trailer and he looked at me and he said, it's okay, we can start over. He didn't say you can start over, he said we can start over. And this time, I'll help you. So we took that terrible trailer home and my dad helped me fix it. But I really knew the moment my dad said we could do it, that he would help me, I knew it was going to be okay. And that's what your heavenly father wants to tell you today. God is saying, you might have really messed up. You might have gave it your best shot and came up short. And now you're disappointed. You're disappointed with how your life has gone. You're disappointed with how your marriage has gone. You're disappointed about something. And God says, it's okay. We can start over. And this time, I'll help you. This time, we can do it together. You have no idea how many times your heavenly father father wanted to reach out to you. At those times, you you felt like, I blew it. Maybe you blew it publicly. Maybe you made a fool of yourself. Maybe you blew it privately and nobody but you knew. But you're thinking, it didn't really work. My plans have been, you know, they've been so poor You just need to hear your Heavenly Father say, it's okay. We'll start over, and this time we'll do it together. For some of you, God's been waiting for this moment for your entire life. He's been waiting for this moment where you would just, for a moment, get an inkling of how much He really loves you. You've been struggling, and you've been thinking, my problem is that I don't love God enough. No, that's not your problem. Your problem isn't that you don't love God enough. Your problem is you don't know how much God loves you. Because if if you did know how much God loves you, you couldn't help but love Him back. A million years ago, before anything ever happened in your life, God chose you, and He decided to love you. And some of you have spent your whole life, you've been afraid to surrender to God. And the reason you've been afraid to surrender to God is you never really knew how much He loved you. But nobody knows what will make your life better than God. So actually, this could be the moment that you could just let go of fear. 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Friends, when love comes in the front door, fear's got to go out the back. 
You never need to be afraid of God. Fear just drains everything out of your life. Your problem is not that you don't love God. The problem is you don't understand how much God loves you. I, I, I want the band to come back. And um, Brenda's going to come. She's going to play some heaven music. And what she does is it's going to direct our hearts and our thoughts towards God. And while they're playing a little bit in the background, I want to talk to God with you about this whole thing. I want to pray together. More than just me pray for you, I want to pray together. And um, go for it, Brenda. I didn't tell her I was going to say any of that stuff. <laughs> I'm going to ask him to put the prayer up on the overhead and we'll pray it together. Say it with me. Dear God, I'm amazed at how much you love me. Thank you that your love for me is wide enough to be everywhere I go. Thank you that your love for me is long enough to last forever and that you will never stop loving me. Thank you that your love for me is deep enough to handle my problems. Thank you that your love for me is high enough to overlook all my sins and mistakes. Jesus Christ, I thank you for your love, and I want to learn to love you back. Help me to be a person who shares the love of Jesus in this world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon's got one more point. There's not time, so I'm just going to tell you what it is. You can write it down. I worship instead of worry. Worship is simply just simply just expressing my love to God. Anytime you say to God, I love you, you say, well, that's, that's worship. Worship is giving yourself to God. So let's just respond today. We always offer you multiple ways to respond, but let's respond today just by worshiping God. And saying, God, I love you. I want to receive your love. I want to be a receiver of your love.